My name is Andy. I help people live life on purpose. This podcast explores the mystery, beauty, and complexity of life through conversations with an array of incredible practitioners, all of them working at the edge of what's possible for humanity. This is a place for big dreams, bold creativity, and fierce hope. Welcome to the Wonder Dome. If you're inspired by this conversation and you'd like to see it reach more people, you can help the Wonder Dome take flight by sharing it with friends and colleagues, subscribing, giving us a high star rating, and best of all, leaving a glowing review. If you'd like to go even further, consider becoming a monthly supporter. You'll help me keep the lights on and support a wide range of charitable causes. You can learn more at mindfulcreative.coach. Thanks in advance for helping us inspire the world. My guest today is Joel Monk. Joel is a leadership coach and an entrepreneur, and he's the founder of Coaches Rising, a community on the cutting edge of coach training with over 6,000 coaches across the world. That's how I found my way to Joel. He's the host of a podcast by the same name, the Coaches Rising Podcast. And he's actually a bit of a hero of mine because hearing his podcast helped me believe in the Wonder Dome. Joel brings together a beautiful combination of neuroscience, human developmental theory, and the best of ancient wisdom from cultures across the ages to help people tap into purpose, to possibility, and presence. It was so awesome to be in the space with Joel. One of the most powerful things he does is to show up really attentively to whatever is in front of him. And you'll hear that attentiveness, that focus in this conversation. We explore what it is to wake up to your calling, what it is to come to terms with letting go of parts of your life that it's time to say goodbye to, and how to move forward through ambiguity, uncertainty, particularly in this global moment that we all find ourselves in. It's a really rich, robust conversation. I think you'll enjoy it. So let's get settled in. And hear what Joel has for us. Hi, Joel. Welcome to the Wonder Dome. Thank you, Andy. Yeah, it's great to be here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like the, the Wonder Dome. Yeah. I like that name. Yeah. You know, I don't know if I've shared this yet with, with the audience, actually, the name of the Wonder Dome, but for me, it evokes. When I was a kid and I went up to Maine, if I lived here in the States, I'm on the, on the eastern coast of the States, just outside Boston. And I remember going up to Maine for the first time as a kid and seeing the stars in a way I had never seen them before. It's so easy for us to zero in on what's right in front of us in our lives, our trials, our tribulations, our fears, our doubts, our wants, our needs. But as much as I was able as you know, an eight-year-old kid, I felt just humbled and odd. And so there's, there's something in that. There's something in the Wonder Dome about this like, dome of stars that we all live under that I'm inviting people into in this space. So thank you for tuning into that name. Mm. Well, I think it also speaks as a beautiful metaphor for what coaching can be as well, mm. to evoke that sense of wonder about who we are and what our lives can be. So, yeah. 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 And I've been listening, as I said before, we pressed record. I've been listening now to your podcast for over a year. And, and those will, people who are tuning in will have already heard me that the pre-recorded intro I do about coaches rising and the awesome work you're doing with that podcast. But I want to say a word or two about how I encounter you as the host of that show and, and why that, and like made me really excited to invite you here today. And, and the thing that, that I most appreciate, and there's a lot to appreciate about what you do as the host of that show, but the thing I most appreciate is the way that you get really present with your guests, all of whom are, for those who haven't heard it, heard the show, incredibly talented, gifted, accomplished practitioners in their own right. And you show up, with them in a way that I feel you even already showing up with me right now that draws them out into these wonderful 
you know, oftentimes we hear experts speak and experts kind of, there's a, a way they've learned to speak because they're telling something or teaching something or presenting something or marketing something. But they seem to soften when you're in your presence and really share themselves as much as their wisdom and what they've learned. And I just really appreciate about that, that about you. Mm. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I don't know if I could be any other way, you know, in those conversations, <laughs> it's, uh, I wonder is a good word. You know, I, I genuinely have a, a kind of wonder and a sense of delight about being in conversation with them, you know, in a wholehearted way. And so, um, yeah, you know, like it, it, I'm not interested in that other kind of conversation where we meet the professional persona as much as I am in, you know, having that new conversation that's never been had before Mm. that's saturated with wonder. Mm. So So Joel, if I understand it correctly, you, um, you have a background in art. You have a background in music. You were a DJ for a number of years. And I get the sense that all of that shows up now for you as a coach, for you as someone who's creating space for that wonder and for that self-discovery and self-development. But I wonder if you could share in whatever way you're comfortable, what was it that catalyzed you to, to move towards the life that you're living now away, perhaps away from, or perhaps in a way that kind of transcended and still, still includes that past. But I, I get the sense that, that you, something catalyzed that and maybe something that was hard or difficult. Yeah. And I just might, I, th- that's true. I think there was, there was some, definitely some kind of um, very intense moments. And, I, and in some ways, like the older I get, um, the more I have a sense of, I wouldn't use the word destiny, but it's like um, there's a kind of flow to life mm. and um, um, that I'm not in control of my life in the way that I thought I was, you know, like strategically planning where I'm going to end up. And so as I get older, there's just an increasing sense of of um, getting out the way and, and um, going with this kind of, flow of life and i don't mean by that you know like just spacing out and hey chill out it's all flow you know there's in within that there's space for working hard and having intentionality and stuff but so that i would answer that question a little bit with that um but i would say um for sure uh there was one moment in particular that i would that would mention yeah i was actually an artist um painter and a um, I'd make installations and I was DJing in nightclubs and I was quite lucky to be um, taken on by um, one nightclub that became quite well known in Manchester. And so I was DJing to, you know, crowds of six, 700 people quite regularly. And um, yeah, I basically woke up one morning and I just burst out, burst into tears and I, I was just disconnected from, who I was, I, I would, I don't even know I'd put it in those terms back then. Mm. I just knew that I, I was lost and I was, I was suffering. Mm. And, um, in that moment, I just made a decision. I don't even know where the decision came from. It was like, that's it. I'm changing my life. And I sold all my records and, um, I traveled to India on a spiritual pilgrimage which had been, you know, bubbling up in the months prior to that. But, um, you know, it was just like those moments where you just make a decision and and life changes. Mm. And so, yeah, that was quite that. I mean, but it was a low point in my life as well in in way like I'd, I'd had a very hedonistic lifestyle as well. And I'd, I'd hurt people in my life, Mm. the partner I had at the time, particularly, uh, I'd hurt myself, you know, and um, it just couldn't continue. Mm. You know? So, so yeah, I, I found myself in India some couple of months after that, three months after that, suddenly with like a larger, you know, I'd, I'd always been terrible with money. And I remember I was like, how did I end up with like these thousands of pounds in my bank? You know, that was also, so there seemed to be a kind of coming together of life to support me in making that shift uh-huh. as well. 
Yeah. I want to hear a bit more about the experience in India, but maybe before we go there, it sounds like in the moment you weren't sure where the, the decision came from, but you felt it deeply and emotionally. And I wonder if looking back now, if you have any perspective or wisdom to share about, because I have a sense that many people, perhaps some people who hear this might have a story about who they want to become that involves uh, being someone on stage, being someone who's in front of a crowd, being someone who's impacting how people feel and making them feel good. And, you know, there's a lot in there that, that feels really exciting and visceral and, and seductive about, oh, you're a DJ at a club in Manchester. Like, mm. I suspect that there are lots of people who showed up every night when you were on stage and said, Joel's, Joel's made it. I want what Joel has. Mm. And here you were feeling like you had somehow lost connection to the very thing you wanted most, even if you weren't sure what that was yet. Mm. I wonder if you have, could speak to that at all. Like, yeah, what, what was hit, hiding there that, that many people don't yet see? It's a good question. It's a, it's a big question. Um, because, you know, I would, I would say in and of itself, being on stage or being in front of people, impacting people is not a bad thing. You know, it's like, it's, it can be a very beneficial thing. It can be a very enjoyable thing, you know? So, and there were certainly enjoyable things about being a DJ, you know, and I was a good DJ as well. I, I'm quite, you know, I, I don't say that about a lot of things, but I know I was a great DJ, I could work the crowd. And so um, now that being said, I think if, like your sense of um, well-being or a sense of worthiness is dependent upon you being acknowledged by others. Mm. You know, it's dependent upon you being seen or recognized, then it's somewhat fragile and it's coming from a sense of lack, mm. you know? So um, therefore, like for me, the work I do with my clients and with myself is actually to acknowledge those parts and to, um, recognize them and, and in some ways like give them the attention, the love they're looking for by wanting to be on stage so that they begin to integrate and a sense of wholeness emerges out, out of which there is then a different kind of contribution, a different kind of creative expression, which is more unmediated. It's more spontaneous and authentic mm -hmm. and because it's coming out of this sense of fullness rather than, being driven by a sense of needing to be seen or famous or something. So, mm -hmm. you know, um, yeah, I think that, you know, and it wasn't just about the DJing why I was unhappy, you know, it was like, but, but I, I think life has this sense of like, when you stray from who you are, there are consequences. You will, you will feel it. And life has a way of mirroring that back to you. And I think that's what this moment was. It was a it was life saying, this isn't, you know, this isn't really who you are or you, you've, there is another way. It was, it was a, it was a pull. It was a call forth to a different journey. Mm. So I don't know if that answered your question, but, yeah, um, you know, like I say, nothing wrong with being on stage. If you're, if that, yeah, this can be a really beautiful thing. I encourage that if that feels like what you want to do, you know, but where you do it from. Yeah. Yeah. Where you do it from. Yeah. I have this, what I'm getting from, from what you shared and tell me if this is right is there's that we might stand anywhere in our life. We might have a job. We might be a performer. We might be a leader. We might be a parent. We might be just traveling on our own through the world. And if we are doing those things in a way that, that says to other people, tell me that I'm doing this right, and if I'm doing it right, then I'm worthy, then inevitably we will reach a place where we're not getting that. And instead, if we can come from acknowledging that we are doing our best in whatever way we are, and that we're coming from a place of, like, this is what I stand for or believe in, or this is where I want to move towards that fullness of expression 
you could be doing the very same thing. And many people might even see the same thing. They might not notice there's a difference. They just see the person on the stage, but the way you're on stage and what, and what comes from that is so much more powerful and nourishing and sustaining and life-giving than being on stage. So. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's so many ways we could look at this. I think, um, you know, I think this idea of, of being in a flow state or, you know, um, I think everybody know that knows those moments where they, they got out the way and there was just something coming through, you know, and um, there wasn't a kind of strategy behind it. It wasn't pre-meditated, although it might be the outcome of many hours and hours and hours of practice, you know, mm. but still it, it like they just got out the way and something came through and, the, the, the experience was fulfilling in and of itself. It was inherently fulfilling. Mm. So I think that's one way, you know, and I think that can become um, a stage that we live our lives at, you know, that, that can become more available. So I just bring in like, just reflecting on something you shared, another kind of model that's been important in my life or, or distinctions we could share is I think there's, you know, if you look at adult development theory, people like Robert Keegan, you know, there's um, a point in our lives where we are um, we live in a kind of inherited sense of who we should be, an inherited sense of purpose. It's like the social scripts that we've imbibed, mm. you know, about what it means to be successful, what it means to be a good son or daughter or father, you know, so it's kind of an outside in. And what I heard you describe is then we, we say, who, who am I? Like, what do I stand for? And that, that kind of points to this kind of authored sense of self. Like I've, you know, I've taken the, the time to disentangle from those scripts I've inherited. And now I've clarified, what do I stand for? What do I believe in? What moves me? You know, what kind of world do I want to see? Really, really beautiful endeavor. And then I think beyond that, there's this, place where we see that even within that authored place, there's a kind of, you know, in some sense, we're still in the, in the game of um, completing ourselves. Mm. There's a precariousness underneath that, that, you know, like in, I, for my life, let me say this, like I noticed that, oh, I'm still, I'm trying to get to that day when I'm perfected. One day I've like done all the development I need to do, all this, the self-work, and then I'm complete. And that that that's a fallacy, like that, and it and it and it creates a barrier between uh, the barrier between life, in a sense, like the raw immediacy of life, the fact that I'm incomplete and I'm impermanent and precarious. Mm. When we open to that, there's an incredible life energy that can come in. When it's what I said about, I'm not in control of life in the way that I thought I was. So, so as we open to that, like this life, that life can flow through us. We're more permeable, and that's where I think that flow state can become more of a kind of permanent stage-like feature, where because we're, we're we're very comfortable in kind of surfing the intentional, uh, the um, the the experiential intensity of the moment. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And it sounds like for those who aren't familiar with the uh, with work by people like Bob Keegan, there's a sort of a natural if we stay engaged with that that possibility of evolution and that possibility of openness and permeability and flow that you just described, that we can move through through the social what do you call it the social scripts into the yeah. self-authored, and then there's something beyond that. Even like I'm here. And I don't have to be in control. There's something bigger than me and I can connect with it and ride it and surf it. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. What does life want with me? That would be that, he, you know, Bob Keegan would, you know, and I'm mixing things up a bit here. So this isn't all Bob Keegan's theory, but there's, yeah, he calls it the self-transforming mind. It's like a post-conventional stage of development, which I think is, actually being called out for in the world at the moment because it can truly meet the complexity in a much more kind of skillful way than the socialized and the authored the two previous ones we mentioned 
but yeah, that um, that that self-transforming stage is um, maybe much more akin to a kind of spiritual stage of development where we're questioning our very ideologies. Mm-hmm. We're opening to to we're much more permeable in the moment, and we're you know we're interpenetrating. We're being formed by the very conversations that we're in. Like even right now, this conversation is transforming us mm. in some way. Mm. So we're kind of opening to that more in that in that stage. Yeah, yeah. Don't think I quite answered your question there, but yeah. no, I I sense the I feel the invitation there. There is a way in which there's something so beautiful about claiming what you stand for and then standing for it, and for people to reach that place in their lives is really powerful. And if we stop there, there's a shadow side to that. There's a precariousness to it because we're still trying to say, this is who I am. And the world is always going to keep, is always going to be larger than that and challenge that. And if you author something about yourself and you become so attached to it that you can't meet the world as it's, as it is right now, you might actually feel that same sense of fear or, doubt or need that someone who's just running the social scripts is feeling and yeah. so uh, i don't know yeah there's there's something on the other side of that i think that invitation to recognize that we can reach a place where we can live right at the edge of what's coming into our lives and our awareness and engage with it without fear and without needing to know what it all means is pretty beautiful so that's what i'm getting and i hope people listening i actually truly trust that people who are listening will get that too mm. thank you for sharing that and just one little note before you it like it's always transcendent includes so it's not like you leave behind these you know like the self-authored um identity like who am i this is what i believe in it's like you you don't reject it you just become more than that you know you can pick it up as needed yeah. which actually it is needed in the world you know you wouldn't function without it so that's yeah yeah just the, nice. yeah. so I, there maybe we can circle back because you said something really important that this moment and we're recording this on june 2nd i think the date is uh so here in america there's some real intensity going on around the death of george floyd and the murder of george floyd and and the implications of that there's a lot here and I don't feel like the person to speak to all of that, but it's happening. And also we're starting to open up again in the wake of COVID-19. So those are things that are happening in this moment that are, are demanding so much more of us than, than most of us are used to giving. And, I, and so I just want to put a pin in that because you, you mentioned that maybe this ability to be self-transforming is part of what is being asked of us to, to answer that. But for folks who are kind of like, whoa, 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 slow down. Like there are social scripts, <laughs> you know, for people, people who are just kind of feeling the, the immensity of the, the door we've just opened. I wonder if we could go back to your journey to India and see if there's some learning there that might be useful to those who are listening. Like what, why India and what happened while you were there? That, op- that set you on this new path. Yeah. Um, well, basically, uh, that's a good question. I- I'd been to India once before, like four four years before that. So this second time I went, I was like 24, 25. And first time I went, I was 20 or something. And I, so I knew I, I just felt the call to be back there. And um, I didn't think too deeply about it, but I but I just knew that it was a country that spoke to me, and anyone that's been there knows it's um you know it's kind of an intense country um, and a beautiful country, and um, also probably changed immensely since I was last there as well. So, um, and um, but I knew I, I got heavily into Buddhism, you know, and so I wanted to you know visit some of the Buddhist sites there. So I did go and stay in. Um, Gaya and uh, which is in Bihar in one of the poorest states there that's a fascinating place to hang out and so I just felt called to do a bit of a, a pilgrimage and and I think also just get away from England you know where I lived like just to because I 
you know, I'd gotten myself a bit of a bad name as well, you know, so I felt amongst my friendship group. So I just, I just wanted to get out, you know, it's like, so found myself in India. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So I, I could tell you some of the things that I experienced there, but I don't know if it brings up another question. Yeah, that's exactly right. I'd, I'd love to see where and how, hear how and where you found yourself in India. What were yeah. the moments that, that still, that you still carry with you now that might speak to people? I mean, absolutely. You know, like, um, talk about identity, uh, breaking. Um, so yeah, like that, I think there is like a, I, I experienced another moment or like series of moments in India that, that like pivoted my life in another direction. And, um, so I'll go to the heart of what that was. Like I, I'd been in, um, by this point I was in, uh, Dharamsala with the Dalai Lama, mm. uh, resides and had been going to his teachings and hanging out there. And I'd been to see the Karmapa and I came out and there was, I met two men there who were traveling around India and they were, um, challenging spiritual teachers. That was the mission they were on. They were like going and testing and challenging spiritual teachers and, one of them said to me, like, um, why do you want to be like this, um, you know, disconnect from life and go and sit on the mountainside? And for some reason, I got really um, triggered and agitated by this, you know, and I like to the point where I was like, I just have to walk off. So I walked off and it was another one of those moments where it was like this thought process went through my head, but I wasn't really, it was like this thought went like, oh, I've got to get away from these guys. I don't like how I feel now. But then another thought said, no, but you need to learn. Why did you get so triggered in that moment? You need to hang out with them. So for some reason I followed that thought. This all happened in the space of about 10 seconds, you know, 15 seconds. So <laughs> I walked back and we ended up hanging out, um, me and these two guys and I think one of my other friends. And they introduced me to um, kind of like neo-advitism, you know. Um, I always forget the guy they were into. Shit. They call him the Marks and Spencers guru. I've forgotten his name. Mm. Anyway, it was all the stuff of like any effort you make takes you further away from the truth of who you are, you know, that kind of stuff. And at the time, I was like a good little Buddhist. You know, I was like doing my daily practice, you know, going to the teachings and it completely confronted me. You know, I was like, what? I was like reading all these teachers, you know, it was the internet was like, online then it was fairly rudimentary compared to what it is now but I could go on their websites and I'd just be reading all these things and I, it just challenged the hell out of me and I remember I came out of the internet shop one day and I sat on the side of a mountain and I just popped into unity consciousness oh. and um and I just started laughing and laughing <laughs> <laughs> and I just felt this like you know radiant joy it was just like um, and I just sat there for about half an hour and then I, you know, somehow there was like functioning. I, I was like, Oh, my yoga class is on. I've been doing yoga classes and I went and, but I sat in the back of this yoga class just before it started and I, I couldn't really function there. I was like laughing and <laughs> like, so I just left, I just walked out. There was no self-consciousness about walking out with these group of people looking at me. Anyway, this, this experience wore off after like a couple of hours, you know, it's very short. And then I just went down into this existential depression um, whereby I was like, well, what, what's true? Who, who am I? It just completely tore that, that Buddhist identity out from underneath my feet. Mm. And, I, and I was in this existential funk and I went back to England in that state. Mm. And then I booked on this retreat and I'll try and keep this whole story short, but I, um, on that retreat, I, um, came out of, it was a, an outdoor retreat. Um, I came out of the meditation tent and I tripped to, I, I stood my foot on this book and it was Ken Wilber's No Boundary. And I was like, <gasps> because the last person they mentioned to me was Ken Wilber. By that point, I was like, these guys, I was calling them vampires. <laughs> I was like, they've, they've, you know, they've ruined my life. And so then I saw this Ken Wilber book. I, uh, you know, I was, um, distraught but then the next day i like put my hand on it when i was talking to someone and i was like oh there's there again <laughs> and then the day after it was like on the table you know where we were eating dinner so I, at that point i was like okay i have to read ken wilbur 
and I read Ken Wilber, and it just he just answered these existential questions like bum 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 bum, and I just felt lit up like a Christmas tree, you know, for for weeks. I was like, and I and then I some months later I was like, oh, they weren't they weren't vampires, they were bodhisattvas. These Buddhist idea of people who are, you know, like working to liberate all beings. So, um, you know, and then just one last thing, like I found myself in Switzerland eight or nine years later in this retreat with these remarkable people who'd been, someone had taken two years to gather them from all around the world to be in this place in Switzerland. And um, I was telling that same story. And the woman who'd taken me there, who'd invited me, she said, oh, they're my friends, like Yop and Mark. Like, uh, and <laughs> so, you know, the thread, um, what I, why I'm telling this is because there was a thread running through my life from these moments, these pivotal moments, you know, where suddenly a, a thought comes in and suddenly it's like, yeah, that's the decision. And, um, you know, and then suddenly life splays out in a whole different trajectory. So, oh, I'm so glad you shared that story. That was... Uh really beautiful one thing there's a lot that's striking me but one thing that's striking me i want to see how this lands with you is there's something really universal in the way in which we are met with someone or something or some idea that that seems antithetical it seems as you said like this is going to suck the life out of me this is vampiric Right. And it seems to me that all of us can relate to that in some way, shape or form. If we're, if we're just awake to notice that as a pattern, that we encounter someone or something or some idea and we reject it. Or it gets under our skin and it shakes us up and really rattles us the way that you're talking about. And that. It, it seems to me like I'll speak for myself. There are many times where I've really fought that where I really run away from that. And yet. In the same way you described, when I finally say yes, okay, I'm ready to listen. It always turns out to have some aspect of exactly what I actually needed at that moment. Hmm. And and for those, for anyone who's listening, like right now we can look in any direction and see something that scares us or that threatens us or that we want to fix or manage or argue against. So it's almost like if we're surrounded by that, if we look in every corner, we're seeing the world as things that are threatening that must be defended against. We sort of back ourselves into this existential corner. And I wonder if you could just say it, if that's resonating with you, this idea that maybe the thing we resist most might in fact be the very teacher we need. How might you, with the wisdom you have now, invite other people into that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, firstly, I'd say that I, um, I was like dragged into that kind of like transformation. It wasn't, it wasn't like, um, you know, like, Oh, I noticed that I'm resisting this. So I'm going to explore it. You know, I really, um, I really just, it was, yeah. Sense of being dragged into it. And I think that, um, perhaps I'm a, I'm a little more, um elegant with that that kind of experience in my you know my older years that was 20 that was 15 years ago so um yeah yeah um yeah where do i start with that um i uh i think it can be i think it can be true in two different ways as well so i'd say this like i think that there are ideas we have that can be dissonant, um, you know, and in a way that we we're, um, are, we feel a threatening to our identity. And, you know, you brought up uh, George Floyd and, you know, this issue with race and uh, gender that we've been going through as well. And, you know, I think this is a great example on a collective level of how we're being confronted with, um, yeah, you know, like who are we fundamentally and what, what is unconscious within us. Um, and I, but I think there's another way that it happens too. And I think that it, it also happens around our own greatness. You know? So there is a way that we are um, 
in denial of this thread of our greatest potential that runs through our lives. Mm. And that, um, you know, one of the things at some point we have to face is the work we're here to do in the world, you know, or the, 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 the contribution we're here to be in the world. You know, if we're perhaps some of the people listening are, um, you know, they're, they're here because they feel the potential of life. And I think when you follow the potential of life, at some point it takes you beyond yourself into being of service, like you with this podcast, you know, and you wrote a book and, and that, um, we it behooves us to begin to own our nature, our, the nature beyond our beyond our conditioning. You know of um, you know being oriented around just safety or connection or belonging, um, you know homeostasis. But when we go beyond that, we we have to recognize our our gifts and our essence as well. Mm-hmm. so th- those those are um two ways i think but i you know i don't know if the true you know when it like i'll give you a personal example recently i i just became i've been working on myself quite a lot you know been one of those phases perhaps it's been one of those phases for the last decade but i just became um exasperated with that move within myself which is a very self-authored move in a way, just going back to what we were saying. And I, I was just a bit like, ah, oh, you know, um, what am I searching for, you know? Oh, it's ty- I, I, I was, it was, this is tiring, you know? Like, ah, oh, what am I avoiding? Um, and I'm, say, I'm sharing this because it just was uncomfortable and, um, you know, I was in touch with despair and then I remember one meditation, I was feeling despair and then strength and then potential. It's like it was all in there. So I don't know if it's ever easy to, to that's my, I guess it's a long way of saying, I, I don't know if it's ever easy to face that kind of, um, you know, growth yeah. where we're being confronted by our identity. Yeah. And I really appreciate you making that distinction that we, can both be confronted by parts of ourselves, whether as individuals or as a collective, as a society, as a civilization, as a species, we can be confronted with parts of ourselves that are so dark or painful that the safest thing is to just reject them, saying that, no, that's not true, which of course then perpetuates the pain and, and inevitably brings us back into confrontation with it again. And we see that play out in some really vicious and violent ways. So it's like, there's like, yeah, it's going to be really uncomfortable to encounter that painful part of us, but the more you fight it, the more pain will result. But then also on the other side, there's this beautiful invitation into whatever is moving through you. That is a service to yourself in the world encountering that is probably also going to be uncomfortable and painful and in the same way if you reject it then you're actually cutting that possibility off from not only yourself but all the people that you might touch in your life so there sort of seems to be a kind of to move beyond to move from from kind of social to self-authored and then even beyond that there seems to have to be this fundamental either a willingness to sit with that pain or or as you said someone or something that drags you through it so that you can see what's on the other side well you know i i I would say for sure like my i i absolutely agree with what you're saying and i think that it's um you know it's really important that we we meet ourselves with compassion and we face our pain and that um, it can both integrate that pain. So we mentioned presence before this call, like if, especially if I cultivate the capacity to be present with my pain, it can integrate it, but also that that pain often holds the keys to our um, greatest contribution, mm-hmm. you know? So, so, you know, it's an inevitable part of the path, I think, like, you know, 
Um, I, I agree with what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. If we want to be on that path towards being authentically who we're called to be or want to be or long to be, then an essential part of that is coming up against the edges of our comfort and finding out what's on the other side. And that that's actually a wonderful, what I'm hearing you say, or, or perhaps what I'm projecting onto what you say is there's a wonderful gift in that to others to be someone who's willing to walk that walk. I mentioned at the top of the call that, you know, the way you invite your guests in on, on your show, Coaches Rising, really moves me. And I know that, that as, as a coach, you've been working to develop, like a lot of people maybe have an idea about what a coach does. Maybe they think of a sports coach who has a playbook. And in that playbook, they're saying, okay, Joel, here's the play you need to run in your life right now. Go do it. But you approach coaching very, very differently. You approach it from the sense that by, by fully connecting to your flow, your energy, your presence, something can happen in the other person. Some, some possibility can happen that wouldn't be there if you came in with an agenda or with a, with a specific playbook that you thought that person absolutely had to run to win the game of life or whatever metaphor you might play with. And I wonder if you could talk a bit more about like I sense essentially what I'm tuning into is you've been doing all this work and now you're at a place where you can be with other people. And in that being, they might start on the path. You might be the person who's quote unquote dragging them or pushing them, but without any agenda, just there's a path over here. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, let me say that I, when with my clients, I do have an agenda, like I'm committed to their, um, them, their evolution mm. and to them um, aligning their life with what's most important to them. Mm. You know, so making, taking tangible steps around that to have a life aligned with what's most important to them. And then within that, yes, like I, um, I'm an advocate of, of like non-goal oriented coaching. So um, the way I work with people is, I am, you know, I'm often attuning to them and the coaching session itself has a very emergent feel to it so that I'm asking them, why are you here? For example, what is most important to you? Like, why would you want to do some coaching? And as they talk about that topic, uh, we, get, we begin to go into uh, a kind of vertical thread so we will begin to explore, well, what, what's here right now as we talk about this mm. topic? And then we begin to include that. You know, so oh, as you talk about this topic, you're, you're noticing, um, you know, so often it has two flavors to it. Someone will either start to feel a sense of lack, like, oh, yeah, I just know that I, I'm, I'm struggling a lot around this thing. I really want to be that, and it's not here, and I keep running up against the same challenges. And so... I'm never like, okay, we need to push through and get to that place. I'm always saying to people, let's, let's, that's an intelligent strategy, I think, this part of you that's showing up, that may be getting in the way. Let's honor that as, a, as an intelligent strategy. So, so we begin to include that. Mm. And as we include it, it you know, the, that part will often um, begin to change or integrate but we're not doing it to make it change. Now that's the paradox. We're just actually giving it loving attention. Mm. The, the other place people might go when we're exploring, why are you here? Like what would make this extraordinary, an extraordinary journey for you? People will drop into a sense of embodying that, 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 that thing, you know, like they might connect to, to like these qualities of presence, like or of, um, you know, like um, I'm uh, presence. It's about. It's ultimately about freedom. Mm. You know, like like, uh, and then they would touch into an embodied sense of freedom in in the moment in the conversation. So we begin to include that, and then I would be well. Okay, so you want to create these things in your life from this place of freedom. It's that place I spoke about at the beginning of our call, where that in this quality of freedom that I'm giving as an example, 
it's a, it has an inherent sense of fullness, mm. an embodied sense of fullness in the moment. Oh, as I feel this freedom that I am, I can go and create those things I want, like a thriving coaching practice for, in a very different way or, you know, a musical album or, you know, I, I can lead my um, company of 50 people in a very different way from this place. So, so um, as I'm coaching people, I find that there's this organic um, emergence of um, qualities that, that, that tend to kind of crystallize into the, the kind of um, structure of that person, who they're becoming, mm. rather than what a lot of coaching can be, which is like, okay, I'm going to chart your development, you know, um, structural coaching. Like I can, I'm going to chart your development to that place. And now we're going to do a set of, pra set of practices, which will take you there, which can be really um, a powerful way of coaching, but it also can, um, can kind of create a sense of like imposing the development that, someone needs to do on rather than allowing it to emerge out of the conversation. Mm. So yeah, mm. and I'm getting too technical here, but um, I think, and I think this is a way of being this emergent, um, I would say surrendered way of being is, is a way of being we're being called into as a species to embody as we recognize the, the the um, complexity of the world that we live in and even the chaos of the world we live in because we can meet that complexity in a different way yeah so we've arrived then at the, the place where we put a pin which was more and more we're waking up to a world that feels extraordinarily complex interconnected in both beautiful and fragile ways and more and more we're waking up to the way in which we in particular as humans have impact and influence on that interconnectedness, perhaps really arguably an outsized impact and influence on that interconnectedness. And what I'm hearing you say is that if we can find a way into that emergent space, that free space, that flow space as individuals and as a collective, that's that's how we're going to meet the complexity not by trying to simplify it or or break it down or break it apart but rather to meet it is that right well you know um i feel pretty humble here like i want to add a word of caution like that um i don't want to i want to be careful that i don't um make too big a claim about what we need in the world because uh you know, it's very unpredictable right now. There's a lot of, um, you know, I mean, that's what comes up for me as I feel, um, you know, what's happened with COVID-19 and, and now with, with um, what's happening around with the, the riots and stuff. And um, I don't propose that I would tell people I know what the solution is um, in that sense. Um, that being said, um, I, I think that there's something around, um, as I'm, as I, for example, you know, with, with this coronavirus, it's like, like that, that was an identity challenging experience for a lot of people. I think at least it was for me, you know, for suddenly I was like, well, I don't know where this is all going. Yeah. I'm grieving the the life I thought I would lead with my family and my business. That might sound a bit extreme, but um, I think we are moving into a decade of disruption. And so um, I, 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 um, I had to sense into that, you know, that was like data that was emerging. That, and I, I was, I was kind of opening to that even to the places where I couldn't open to it. And as I allowed myself to feel that grief, I could, uh, what emerged then was a sense of new possibility of, of a potential for, for um, something new to come through that had actually more life imbued within it. Cause I saw, Oh yeah, there were some ways in which my old vision for my life had become habituated mm. and dulled. 
And so I think it was this like sensing way of being that I'm talking about that allowed me to kind of begin to metabolize my experience in a way that, that allowed for this, you know, for, for, um, for me to, to um, be transformed by the coronavirus experience and it's still happening. It's like, um, but it requires for me to develop the capacity to be present, you know, um, to, to what's here, to allow, to surrender to what's here, even to allow, include where I'm not surrendered and where I'm not allowing, you know, so mm-hmm. not that, so that no position becomes the absolute in the way that I need to be. And um, I think it points to um, that, that actually there's a bigger identity that we can live with inside of, that if we're just identified with our thinking minds and our conventional selves, that might have less of a capacity to be present and sense. Mm. Um, uh, so, so I think we're tying in a few of the topics we've spoken about. This self-transforming mind is a bigger self that I think can allow these conflicting and um, emerging sets of information about what's you know to 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 then be uh, included in a way that that we then are allowed able to take skillful action mm. and not and not be just completely knocked out. Mm. Yeah, but this is a huge topic we're talking about now. <laughs> you know, I can feel that now as I'm talking about it. I'm like, wow, does this make sense? You know, like uh, maybe it's get maybe I'm maybe I'm talking at it in a very abstract way. Um, but maybe yeah, like a, it's a big topic. Yeah, and this is a place to show, for me, at its core. As I said to you before we started, like there was a question that emerged for me when I was on a retreat with David White, actually, with one of your guests who you've had on your show a number of times. And the question was, and it was almost like, wasn't me asking this question, but I was being asked of it, which was, what is your fiercest hope for humanity? And as I sat with that, I was like, why, what is, what was it about fierce and hope together that is coming through? And there, there is a real sense that I'm sitting with and that I'm experiencing as you, as, as you open space around these big questions that we have as a species a tremendous gifts and tremendous resilience and adaptability, but also tremendous fragility and that we are not always tuned into to that complexity. And so my fierce hope is we create spaces where we can be with not knowing in a way that doesn't make us run or react or attack, but rather makes us curious and compassionate and open. Because I have none of us and no single one of us has the answer to these questions. If, it, if, if you're out there, whoever, if you're that one person who has the answer, like even then, even if you have the answer, getting people to, to meet you and greet you and, and work towards that would require that curiosity and compassion. And, and that's what I hear and what you're inviting people into is sometimes we want to fix ourselves and there's something we feel we lack. Other times that we want to fix other people and there's something we feel that they lack. Maybe, maybe on some level there is a lack, but we can also be okay with that lack and then, and then encounter it lovingly and caringly as opposed to destructively or judgmentally. And that move towards open, curious, caring feels like a part of what's possible in this self-transforming place that you're describing. Well, I think that was exquisitely said, you know, so I'm like, wow, if I, 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 that's a world I want too, you know? Um, so I really honor your fiercest hope for humanity. And I think, you know, what I hear in what you're saying is a kind of like underlying, almost like meta competency of, um, of, of like being able to be with experience in a way that's um, where, we, where we're curious, you know, 
where we are like open to not knowing in a way that allows for life to reveal itself even more, you know, so that as we not, as we, as we allow the not knowing that allows for something to come through, that is the next thing. And that actually, um, that's just an exquisite capacity to, to, to develop. Um, so I, I, I feel, um, a lot of resonance and gratitude as I, as I hear you speak about that. And, um, I, I wish that for the listeners too, you know, that, I hope that resonates with them what you just shared and that we, because actually that would be similar to my fiercest hope for humanity that mm. in some ways we learn to participate in the immediacy of experience mm. and um, not just to rely on our um, analytical intellectual capacities, which are remarkable, beautiful things, but to develop this capacity to, move into the direct experience of things to know them by being them Hmm. and um, allow, you know, tap into the inherent creative evolution, uh, you know, that, that, that I think is in some way imbued within things that it allows for that to come through. So that's beautiful. Thank you, Joel. Thank you for connecting to what I shared and to bringing your beautiful presence into this space. Um, my daughter, maybe you could hear her. She's in the next room playing. And I love... How old is she? Two and a half. Yeah. And I, I love uh, I love being here with you and, and being in the space with her and, and what a two and a half year old sort of embodies, like that immediacy, emotional, tactile. There's so much emerging all at once. And if she's going to grow up in the world that you and I are living in now, yeah, I want her and every one of us to be more connected to that immediacy that you described, because I feel a real sense that we are stewards for who comes next, just as they will be stewards for who comes after them. So thank you. Yeah. 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 Beautiful. I have a a 10 month, nine month old, so I've got that to come. So. Oh my gosh. Congratulations. Yeah. Oh my gosh. What a, you are in for a treat, Joel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, this has been really a privilege and honor and a pleasure to be, to be present with you. Yeah. And I, I know that people hearing this will find something for themselves as they sit with the complexity of being human beings in the world that we've created for ourselves at this moment in time. So thank you. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'll include all of your info on, on, the, on my website, yeah. and everything, but if people are hearing this right now and they want to, they want to go check out what you're up to a bit more, where the, where should they go and find you? Great question. Thanks for asking. Um, um, my website is, um, I've got a couple like joel-monk.com. She's not, I realize now that's not great. Kind of, Cause that is the, it's the hyphenated joel-monk.com. And you can reach me at joelmonk at coachesrising.com. Uh, if you want to email me as well, joelmonk at coachesrising.com. And, um, I also have a company called coaches rising, which is, uh, coachesrising.com. That's where the podcast you're referring to is housed as well. Great. Thank you again, Joel. It's been a real pleasure. And I can't wait to share this with the world. Thanks, Andy. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in to The Wonder Dome. This podcast was produced by me, Andy Cahill, with support from Kelly Sirquois, and audio editing services from John Nolan at Middle Mountain Studios. The theme song was written and performed by Todd Marston. You can find the Wonder Dome wherever pods are casted. If you dig what we're doing here, please share widely, subscribe, and give us some love in the review boards. And if you feel called to support this humble offering to the world, while also making an even greater impact in the lives of others, consider becoming a monthly supporter. Not only will you help me keep the lights on, 
and keep this show going for as long as I'm able. But 30% of all member contributions go directly in support of causes like the Black Lives Matter movement, the United Nations Refugee Agency, and the National Resources Defense Council. You can find out more at my website, mindfulcreative.coach, where you can also sign up for my newsletter, learn about my transformational coaching work, and get plugged into exclusive offers and community happenings. In the meantime, I'm wishing you a life of purpose, power, and presence. We need you now, more than ever.